On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. How are you today? I'm doing great, Lance. I'm excited about this episode. We speak with our friend and coworker, Jennifer Amell, about the disappearance of Aaron A.J. Scott Johnson. That's right. And Jennifer brings us her research document that she put together based on all the information that's gathered through the nonprofit that we work with, Private Investigations for the Missing, which you can find out more information on by visiting investigationsforthemissing.org. And in this episode, we play some clips from Jennifer's conversation with Amanda, who is AJ's wife. And some of them get very emotional and a big thank you to Amanda for speaking with Jennifer. It is a, is a great conversation and really helps this episode develop with accurate information. And if you have any knowledge of what happened to Aaron Scott Johnson, AJ Johnson, please contact either the LCO Tribal Police Department at 715-634-8350 or the Rusk County Sheriff's Department at 715-532-2189. AJ was 34 years old when he disappeared, 5'7", 220 pounds, blue eyes, wears eyeglasses sometimes, dark blonde hair, wears it shaved, many tattoos on his neck, head, arms, back, and stomach. Last seen wearing a gray tank top, blue and white checkered boxer shorts, and black socks. He went missing from La Corte Oriel Reservation in northwestern Wisconsin on October 11th, 2020. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Please follow us on social media at Missing CSM. And for more information on what we are up to, feel free to swing by crawlspace-media.com. Welcome back to Missing Jennifer Amell. How are you today? I'm doing very well, guys. How are you? Couldn't be better. Thank you so much for joining us. And once again, thank you for putting together a fine document for the latest person that we are looking into from Private Investigations for the Missing. 
My pleasure. Yes, this case came to us uh, quite a few months ago into private investigations for the missing. The person we're talking about today is Aaron Scott Johnson, and his case was submitted by his wife, Amanda Thayer. Okay, and she contacted PIs for the missing through email? Yes. And you've been in touch with her? Yeah, I've talked to her several times on the phone, and we did record uh, an interview with her just yesterday um, via Zoom. And it seemed like she lives in a really beautiful area. There was like very green trees behind her and a lake. Seems uh, pretty gorgeous there in northern Wisconsin. Nice. And we're going to be playing some clips from that interview you had with her. Yes, definitely. It was probably one of the more emotional interviews I've ever done with a family member of a missing person. You could just really tell that she was in such pain and it still is so fresh to her. I mean, it's been almost a year that her husband has been missing, but it's like it happened yesterday. All right, so let's get into the narrative here. AJ and his wife, Amanda Thayer, they lived on Lac Court Ore Reservation in northwestern Wisconsin. Amanda is a tribal member, AJ is not. But Amanda said it's common to have Native as well as non-Native people living with partners on the reservation. And the LCO, they're a band of Lake Superior Chippewa indigenous people. The area is very remote and it's woods and numerous lakes are still recovering from the American lumber industry. Yeah, I asked Amanda what it was like living on the reservation and she described it in great detail. So our reservation, it's pretty big. It's we're all pretty close in family here. A lot of culture. We're trying to get back into our culture based stuff and do all that with our language and try. We have a lot of community events. Me and AJ, we lived or Aaron. I call him AJ. Um, me and Aaron lived on the Triple Forge. It's really peaceful. It's quiet. We live right across the street from the lake. It's called the Triple Forge. Um, we lived in a community called New Post. There's a lot of history in this community. It's just really peaceful here. Our neighbors are older elders. So we really loved it here. Aaron was really amazing. He, he was a Christian. We loved to go to church. He was amazing. He loved the outdoors. He grew up on a dairy farm with his grandparents in a community not too far from here, about an hour from here. So he knows a lot of that um, to live off the land, like logging beef cattle and milking cows. He worked on that North Star Acres farm there for quite a few years off and on. So that was a big part of his life. And Aaron didn't relapse a lot in the past five years. It was the first couple of years that were really bad. But he I've seen a part of Aaron that nobody's seen. And I'm really blessed that I got that opportunity to be a part of his life and still am. And I just really want him to come home because our kids, I have three kids that aren't his. And he took on the role of being their stepfather. So my kids are really attached to him. You know, that's their dad. And he considered himself as their dad. So it's, you know, he never had children before. And my kids were already half grown by the time he got into their lives. So they learned a lot from him. And he just was really good at the kids. He loved to teach them outdoor things, fishing. He loved to fish. Oh, that was our thing, fishing. Um, He loved to work outdoors. We worked outdoors for many years seasonally. Um, he liked to go on Sunday drives and just look at the leaves when they were changing colors. We would go ride around looking at the leaves and just enjoy nature and life. We loved the water, the scenery outdoors. A lot of our life was outdoors. It was anything we could do with our family and friends on our day off. That was awesome. And he loved to eat. <laughs> 
he was always making me cook or we'd have big cookouts and you know um he was the only child growing up in his mom's family there so it was hard for him when he came into our family I have brothers and sisters you know and a lot of family here so he wasn't used to that having that many people around but he adapted well and we all love him and we treat him like family and he's our family and it's it's hard when you um go through life with someone and you build build a life with them and it's they're battling addiction it's really hard to accept it's not hard to accept it's just hard to see someone you love do that and I'm too emotionally attached to him to help him I could help him to points but he needed professional help I used he was a good guy he knew what he wanted and he had a lot of goals he didn't really hang out with too many people unless he was using otherwise he loved being home that's what it was he loved being home he spent a lot of time watching Bigfoot stories and river monsters and conspiracy files he loved his old shows you know and he got all the kids into it and they would watch alien stuff we loved watching the stars we would go stargazing it was one of our favorite things we loved things like that it's just, we, we have a beautiful life and it's been hard without him it's been hard yeah it's been hard doing things that we used to do it's like I always look at the stars and just wonder like is he looking at the same stars you know, it's hard. AJ worked at a dairy farm near Exland, Wisconsin called North Star Acres. It's located about 30 minutes southeast of the reserve. Unfortunately, AJ struggled with a methamphetamine addiction and was trying desperately to get help through rehab treatments he very much wanted to live a clean and sober life and had been clean for months after getting out of prison. Yeah, I mean, Amanda was very forthcoming about this um, unfortunate fact about AJ's life. Um, she said, you know, drugs were pretty prevalent on the, on the reservation. I think a couple months before he disappeared, they had to uh, do some work on the house that they were living in at New Post, which is like a different area of the reservation that's much more remote. And so they had to be in kind of temporary housing that had more neighbors around. And so AJ was around more people who were also addicts and he had uh, more access to drugs at that time. So it was kind of a big struggle for him to stay away from it, living in that area. There we were doing our house in September or August. So we moved out into a sub Templin home just for until December until our house got redone. And during that move, they put us in a community that was, it was on the reservation, but it was more a lot of people around and I don't want to say drug activity, but a lot of traffic easier to get to things as, as in here. It's not Aaron's been dealing with his addiction since he was like 15. It's been, it's been rough, but I've been there for him for the past eight years and, First, it was really hard and he got sober and it was a really good life. And he started relapsing when he came home in 2020. Yep, 2020. He came here to live with me in New Post and he was just dealing with some childhood trauma and just our community. It's easy to get drugs here. It's easy to fall off. So I think I had a lot to do with it. And when he left, he was currently using, as far as I know, I, I know he was using days before 
and that had caused some strain in our marriage and our household. But I just kept working. You know, I, I had to work to support my family. So we didn't really, I didn't really have time to take off to focus on his addiction. I was just begging him to get help. And when he left on October 10th, he said he was going to go hang out with some friends. And I knew the friends that he was hanging out with were users. So I was a little upset and I tried to beg him not to go, try to tell him to come home to, you know, get some rest and that I'd be home at midnight and we would talk about things. Unfortunately, Aaron left at 7 p.m., 7.30 p.m. on October 10th from our house, our subtemplate home, and I've never heard from him since, and he's never returned. In the weeks before his disappearance, AJ started hanging out with Amanda's brother, Adam, again. And Adam is addicted to heroin, and Amanda says the two men were bad influences on each other. And unfortunately, AJ relapsed in September of 2020 and worrying about AJ's sobriety and fighting to keep a healthy environment for her children, Amanda felt it necessary to give AJ the ultimatum. On October 10th, she told him that if he didn't get clean, they would have to separate. Yeah, this this was a huge fight between the two of them. And it was an ongoing fight, too. I mean, their life was wonderful together when AJ was clean, but it made life very hard when he did use, as you might imagine. I, I mean, Amanda said that AJ was her soulmate and she really did not want to break up the marriage and she wanted to live with him for the rest of his life. But uh, I think it made it very difficult to live, live with somebody who had an addiction like this. So I think an effort to maybe urge him to get back on the wagon, she kind of put a threat on their relationship. So AJ left in his maroon 2001 Dodge Dakota with LCO tribal plates. The truck was having some brake issues, but was drivable. However, it seems he was stopped by police and he had to leave the truck on the side of the road near Hayward, Wisconsin. So after the argument that you said that they got into, Jen, Adam picked up AJ and they went to the dairy farm to stay with a man named Dave O and his girlfriend who lived on the property. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think there was like a couple buildings and houses on the farm property and Dave and his girlfriend lived there. And I think um, they were also addicts too. So it seemed like a place where uh, Adam and AJ could go and hang out and and uh, use that night. It's a little unclear what AJ's movements were directly after the argument. I'm unclear if he had jumped in his truck and then got stopped by the police or if he had even spent a night in his truck before getting picked up by Adam. Not really sure which one it is, but I don't think it makes too too much difference in the grand scheme of things when Aaron first left on October 10th I was upset because he was hanging out with some abusers you know substance abuse users and some of them were my family one of them was my brother and I don't really hang out or talk to my brother too much since he's been in his addiction because his was a little worse daily I was upset and then I had called him probably around 9 30 I was at work so I was a little busy at work and I called him and I talked to him and I just couldn't stop crying. I just said, please come home. Like, I love you. And, you know, like, let's work on our marriage and let's get you. I will stand by your side no matter what choice you make, whether you want to be in your addiction or you want to go to treatment. Like, married you, you know, and I love you and I don't want to lose you. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to make our marriage work. And he just told me to calm down. Well, he said, calm your tits. 
<laughs> he was laughing about it because he must have been drinking because I could hear some people in the background all yelling around and laughing. And he's all, calm your tits, babe. I'm just all having a good time and I will be back later and I will see you soon. And I says, well, I get off at midnight and tomorrow's my birthday, you know, and he's like, yes, I know I'm not going to miss your birthday. He goes, I will be home later. Just having fun. And he hung up on me and I tried to call him back and he didn't answer. And he tried to call me back and I was busy at work, so I couldn't answer. So I missed a couple calls from him and I tried to call him back ever since. I've been calling him and calling him. It would ring, but he wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer my texts. I sat up all night waiting. I was like, okay, you know, like, I'm not going to, I'm really worried. And I, at the time I didn't have a vehicle to go chase him around like I usually do. So I couldn't find him. I didn't have a ride. So I'm sitting home waiting and waiting, waiting and calling him nonstop. Probably about 4.30 or 5 a.m. I was getting tired. And um, that's when his phone went straight to voicemail. And I was like, oh, his phone must have died. You know, and I had like, but I woke up the next day. Like I didn't sleep much, but I woke up. A couple hours later, I looked at my phone and I tried to call him again. And I realized I called him like over 700 times that night in a row. And he never answered. It was like, eventually, you know, he would contact me, whether it be borrowing somebody's phone, going to a gas station or getting a hold of his mom, letting her know, like, hey, my phone's broke. Um, Tell Amanda I'm here and tell her to come get me, you know, or. You know, or he would just let, let us know he was all right. And I never heard from him. And according to Adam, Amanda's brother, he had picked up AJ at 8 p.m. on October 10th from his truck and taken to the farm where Dave O gave him money to go buy heroin. Adam and AJ went out to buy drugs, but ended up purchasing meth instead. Adam dropped AJ back off at Dave's around 12 p.m. So in my first conversation with Amanda, she was a bit suspicious of um, this event at Dave's house. I think um, there might have been an altercation between Dave and AJ um, based on the fact that he had been given money and sent out to purchase a very specific drug, heroin, and then ended up coming back having spent that money on a different drug, math, and I imagine that Dave was kind of pissed off about that. Additionally, a couple days after AJ failed to return home, Amanda visited this farm in effort to, you know, find AJ, see if he was staying there. It was a working farm, working dairy farm. So she walked into the barn and uh, was talking to a couple people there. You know, have you seen AJ? And she had wanted to talk to Dave and he was kind of at the far end of the barn. And it seemed like he had a black eye and he completely avoided talking to Amanda and kind of hung his head and walked out of the barn. And she was never actually able to speak to him directly about what might have happened between him and AJ. Also, uh, curiously, in December, Dave and his girlfriend decided to leave Wisconsin and move out of the state. And as far as Amanda knows, the police questioned Dave's girlfriend, but never questioned Dave. And I guess Dave and his girlfriend are not currently considered persons of interest in this case. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I don't think uh, law enforcement is actively pursuing Dave to like question him in this case. And I think it becomes apparent later on that while they may have had a fight that evening, it probably didn't really lead to the circumstances in which AJ disappeared, but maybe led to his state of mind when he did go elsewhere. I think the police speculate that Dave and his girlfriend left because, I mean, they are kind of involved in the narrative of a missing person's 
case and they are drug users. So I imagine they just kind of wanted to like steer clear of law enforcement and anything that that might dredge up if their house was searched, you know, if they got busted with drugs or something like that. And Amanda saw Dave from a distance and she thought he had a black eye in the days after. Yeah. Um, she wasn't quite able to tell that his like face was messed up at all when she first saw him. Um, it just seems strange that he like even avoided uh, making eye contact with her, like put his head down. But she had heard from another person. I think it was Dave's girlfriend who said that he he had a black eye and looked like he had been in a fight. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And on the morning of October 11th, AJ got a ride back to his truck that was parked on Country Road NN and Highway C near Hayward. And simultaneously, Amanda had made plans to pick up the truck, but she didn't have a spare set of keys. So instead, she decided to gather tools to hotwire the truck and bring it home. A friend called before she made it over to Haywood, saying the truck was gone. Amanda wasn't sure if AJ had taken it, so she decided to report the truck stolen to the tribal police. Interesting that she gathered some tools to hotwire the truck to bring it home. Is that just something that's a common knowledge? I, I would have no idea how to even begin that. When she was telling me about this, um, she knew she had a spare set of keys somewhere in the house, but like couldn't find them. And she wasn't entirely sure that AJ had the other set of keys. Um, she said she didn't like herself know how to hotwire a car, but she had a friend who did know and like helped her like figure out what to do. I think um, Amanda strikes me as the type of person who will kind of take matters into her own hands instead of like calling a tow trucker, you know, that costs money. And if you don't have enough money for a tow truck, you know, got to hotwire it, I suppose. So at this point uh, in your conversation with Amanda, she's uh, getting worried about AJ being gone uh, in a more serious capacity. Yeah. I mean, she had called AJ that night after their argument was kind of not apologizing per se, but like really wishing that he would come home, kind of begging him to come home. And I think by this point he was already at Dave's house and it sounded like he was um, probably high when she spoke to him. And like, he didn't take her worry very seriously. So Amanda reported AJ missing first to the LCO tribal police, then after a day to Rusk County and Sawyer County in hopes that an agency would take it seriously. Law enforcement was not quick to begin searching for AJ as some agencies knew of his prior drug use and told Amanda that he would turn up again after he sobered up, but he did not come home. Yeah, I mean, it's another unfortunate case of somebody who does have a history of like going to prison and being involved in drugs that like the police, I guess, are more hesitant to like launch a full search and investigation because they expect these people to like kind of go off the grid for a few days if they're using and then eventually come back home. So I don't particularly blame the police for not taking it seriously right at first, but unfortunately, this was one of those uh, situations in which they probably should have. And interestingly enough, authorities managed to trace AJ's cell phone and received a ping between Ladysmith and Bruce, Wisconsin, which is just south of the dairy farm. Uh, that ping later makes sense as to the direction of travel. Uh, what, is, what is meant by that, the direction that he traveled? Yeah, so AJ, after he like got his truck back, so after he spent the night at Dave's, I think Dave's girlfriend 
uh, gave AJ a ride back to where he left his truck on the side of the road. And that's who absconded with it. I mean, Amanda had reported the truck stolen, but she just wasn't sure if it had been taken by somebody else or if it was AJ. Turns out it actually was AJ who got back to the truck. So after he picked up this truck, he continued south um, toward those towns, Ladysmith and Bruce. So he went south and then that's where his cell phone was pinged and then went a bit north up to an area called the Blue Hills, which is pretty remote, like conservation type area. There's like a lake there called Perch Lake. And he seemed to have been familiar with this area. Like, I think he actually lived by this um, piece of land a few years before. And it was a place that seemed safe for AJ. And he would often return to go fishing. Or if he was using, he would he would go there into the wilderness and like smoke meth. And this is where they found his truck. Yes, much later. In the months that followed, there were very few clues as to where AJ had gone. Law enforcement told Amanda that they were waiting to find what she calls, quote-unquote, the Holy Grail, which means AJ's truck. So she never hot-wired it. By the time she had tried to get there, it was already gone, taken by AJ. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, they must have just missed each other. So the police were holding out hope that they would find the Holy Grail being AJ's truck. And you said that that was found later. And Amanda received word from a friend via social media about the truck. Is that correct? Yeah, this was all the way in December, December 2nd, to be specific. The truck was located by somebody. I mean, though this is kind of a widespread area, it would take like kind of an hour to drive this whole route. It seems like people just knew each other and they knew that Amanda was looking for AJ and she had put pictures of the truck out there on social media. So people knew that the truck had been found and then contacted Amanda via social media. And then she knew exactly where they were talking about. She knew where Perch Lake Road was. She knew where Fire Lane Road was. So she uh, hopped in a vehicle and drove there herself. By the time she got there, the police and like a few can a few counties had gathered there to conduct a search and they looked on Amanda having shown up with no word given to her as kind of suspicious. Like she knew where the truck was all this time, but she, you know, she pulled out her phone and she was like, this is how I know. And I'm familiar with this area. Like, it's not a suspicious thing. Like I'm worried. (laughs) I'm going to sit here and see if you guys find anything, you know? I I apologize for not knowing many details about Wisconsin, but, what was the weather like on December 2nd? What's the winter like there? I mean, the winter's pretty rough, but uh, I don't think AJ was out there in December. I think he was out there in October. And in October of that year, they had a bit of a warm spell that passed through. I think there was a high of like 80 or something in October. That said, it did cool down to like the mid 30s to 40s at night. And, you know, that's still pretty cold. And Ruskin-Sawyer County conducted an extensive search of a four- to five-mile radius starting from the truck, but found nothing. And the truck was taken into custody and processed. However, there was nothing of forensic significance found in the truck. That's interesting. Nothing of forensic significance. I mean, I'm assuming that they found evidence of him being in his own truck, right? What does that mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that points to another person being in the truck. I mean, they might have 
found Amanda's prints in there or something because I think they shared a vehicle, but nothing out of the ordinary. Um, I mean, no blood, no evidence that he had been you know, hurt in any way. And in a subsequent search, authorities managed to recover AJ's boots, his pants, his sweatshirt, and in addition, his wallet was found with cash and his latest check from the farm inside as well as his ID cards. Did they find this all in the truck or around the area of the truck? This was outside the area. I think it was like quite a distance from the truck. Um, and all of his stuff was sort of scattered around like he was shedding these things as he walked and didn't just like stop take off his clothes and then continue on it seems like he was taking one article out at a time and how was his truck found on the side of the road or was it on the side of the road or was it half on or was it in the middle of the road um and was this like a back road i think it says it's a fire a fire road yeah this is a a fire road that goes through like a super remote area so i mean i don't think there was much room for him to pull the truck off to the side because it's like woods it's pretty dense woods on either side of the road so i think the truck was just kind of like sitting there and i'm assuming that not a lot of traffic goes through there if the truck was sitting there for weeks and no one had reported a truck blocking the the passage yeah i don't think it's a highly trafficked area people hunt there like they kind of patrol through the woods but maybe they wouldn't be heading down that road in particular or you know people did see the truck and they thought it was just like a hunter who had stopped to like go stalk animals or whatever they do and in december it came to law enforcement's attention that on october 12th at 10:12 a.m., a pair of ATVers were cruising Fire Lane Road about 100 yards north of Perch Lake Road when they came upon a man staggering down the dirt road. He was dressed only in his tank top, boxer shorts, and a pair of black socks. He was covered in mud. The witness said he stopped to ask AJ if he needed help, and so this was AJ. AJ reportedly said he was fine and that he was trying to get back to his truck. And the witness managed to snap a picture of AJ from behind that uh, we have. This photo is so bizarre, guys. It's very eerie. I don't know what moved this witness to actually take a picture. It must have been so strange to see someone in the middle of the woods, like only in their underwear, covered in mud, kind of like acting bizarrely. I, I don't know why they didn't insist on helping him, but I mean, they did speak to him and ask if he was lost or anything. So it seems to me from this interaction that AJ had gotten disoriented in the woods uh, through the night and was trying to get back to his truck, but kind of misremembered where he had parked it along the road. And I'm assuming that Amanda has seen this photo. Uh, what, is, what does she think about this photo? She, she said she was sent the photo I'm not sure if it was the same day, but it was quite soon after it came to law enforcement's atten attention. And she said she kind of just like sank to the floor and like could not stop sobbing. I mean, can you imagine like getting a, like this doesn't happen all the time. It's like a person goes missing and there's virtually no trace of them again. Here we have this like very eerie photograph and she could tell from just his posture that he like was lost and that he wasn't in his right mind and possibly still high or just like uh, brain addled from, you know, surviving the elements through the night and stuff is, it's just really, really hard on Amanda and AJ's mother. A couple of weeks after his truck was found, 
I can't really think of the date, December 16th or 17th, around that era time is when Russ County called me and asked me to come in and verify a photo that, you know, maybe Aaron. And I went in and they put the photo in front of me and all I could do was cry because they knew it was him. Like, why would they do that to our family? And just, you know, I just, I just cried because he was in his underwear and shirt, you know, his undergarments. Where was he going? And I could tell by his posture in that picture that he was like not in the right state of mind he looked lost he needed help and I don't know who took the picture I don't know the citizen that took the photo they wouldn't release that information to me but they took that photo on October 12th and they didn't turn it into police until in December And since the discovery of AJ's truck and possessions, nothing has been located to give an indication of where AJ may have ended up. The wilderness there is quite vast and is difficult to search. And remind me how far away from his truck was the sighting. I think it was almost a mile away from where his truck was dropped. He seemed to have wandered kind of in a circle. Like he was circling his truck and he couldn't figure out how to get back through it and he wasn't really on the road the whole time I don't think because of where his clothing and wallet were found like he was actually trudging through the woods and was off trail so I imagine that that like even if you're sober and it's like in the bright clear light of day you would still probably get lost in an area like that and I just want to emphasize that he's not wearing shoes he's walking around in his socks in this in the conditions out there in the woods and in the mud. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one theory behind this that, like, since it did cool down to, like, the 30s or 40s during the night, like, perhaps AJ got hypothermic. And oftentimes people, when they become hypothermic, they get, like, very hot. Like, their body temperature rises to compensate. And this might be why AJ decided to remove his sweatshirt and his pants. I don't know about the boots. You can't really speak to his state of mind then but potentially the hypothermia that's so tragic because if he was about a mile away that's you know what a 15 minute walk like that's so it it's so tragic to think about that that he was 15 20 minutes away from his truck i know there seems to be like quite a few of those moments like if something had just gone a little differently in aj's movements like if Amanda had gotten to the truck when AJ did, then like none of this would have happened. Or maybe it would have, I don't know if he would have left if he saw her because they were allegedly fighting. But um Right. And then getting lost too. Yeah, and the and the photograph of him was was taken on uh, yeah. October twelfth. So I guess I mean, obviously great thinking and taking the photograph and, and bringing it to law enforcement's attention. But if that was brought to their attention earlier, the truck could have been found earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think the people who took the photo actually realized it was a missing person. Yeah, no shade on them. I think, uh, you know, it's just one of those unfortunate uh, sort of things. Yeah, it really is. Well, since the discovery of AJ's truck and his possessions, has anything been located to give any indication as to his whereabouts? Nothing outside of the truck, you know, his wallet and his clothes. 
I mean, they did con- conduct a search of, you know, about a four to five mile radius around where the truck was found, but like, who knows how far AJ could have wandered or did he get a ride out of there? Is he still alive? Is he like hiding in a hunter's cabin? Uh, like there's, there's so many possibilities. And Amanda herself says that she feels tortured by these possibilities. There's so many different scenarios that you have to imagine. And when it's somebody you love, like each one is like worse than the the next, you know, I think um, right now Amanda's still working hard on trying to organize another search of the area with like private uh, search and rescue teams. But it's really hard when you don't have the means to organize something like that or hire like a, a PI or hire, you know, a, a search and rescue company. I think she spoke about feeling kind of abandoned by her community and by law enforcement. What are the rules or if there are any rules about private investigators looking into a case on native land like this on a reservation? I don't know about the laws. I think you probably would have to be invited by tribal police or, you know, have some sort of connection to that community. Um, it's really difficult to for outsiders to gain insight into what happens on reservations and stuff. I mean, this case is a bit different because AJ is a white man and his wife is native. You would think that that would give Amanda more resources to locate him because she did go to like three different agencies. One was the tribal police, one was Rusk County, and the other was Sawyer County. But unfortunately, Wisconsin, like this part of Wisconsin is just like super understaffed and underpopulated. And I think they were kind of in over their head with this case, like just didn't have the the resources to keep searching out there. Rusconi has it. And I, I don't know, it's really hard to say. I do message the investigator, Steve Gronsey, quite a bit, like not quite a bit, but I used to like a lot. But like now it's just like once a month I'll message him like any updates and he just says no. And you'll be the first to know when they when there is. That's all he says. So I said, well, search teams been denying me about going into the area, you know, because they lack of resources or funding in the area. So search teams can't get into there or won't come up. And he said, oh, I just asked him if we can search the area. And he said, you can do whatever you want in that area. So I try to get a public search, but that's kind of hard to do. And I'm not equipped. I don't know how to walk through woods. I went on, like, I wanted to go on every search there was, even if I just had to walk the road or ride in my car up and down the road yelling for him, because I don't want him to be alone out there. And like, I wanted to be there because I need to hold him and bring him home. I don't want him to be alone. You know, I just want him to know that I love him. We all do, we miss him and we care for him. And whether he's in body or spirit, we're going to bring him home. We need to have him here with us. And if you have any knowledge of what happened to Aaron Scott Johnson, please contact either the LCO Tribal PD at 715-634-8350 or Rusk County Sheriff's Department at 715-532-2189.